This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 4th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Well, Brian, I'm, my name is Bob Aiello, and I was at Hofstra Radio uh, from uh, 1977 to uh, 1981. And what shows or programs did you work on at the station? So um, I, I was most focused on a show that uh, covered blindness and disability called Stigma. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about that for a minute, but let, let, me, let me just point out first that I'm a little unusual from some of the guests you've had on in that I was not a comms major. I was active at WVHC. I was an engineer, a producer, and an announcer, and I loved the radio station. But I was a computer science major, and I, you know, I, I had no intention of going into broadcasting as a career, uh, although I, I really love broadcasting. And I looked at radio as a way to bring about change in the world. Hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of change in terms of the way that people who are blind and disabled are treated. And uh, I think some of the things we did at WVHC really uh, helped to lead uh, with that change. Uh, and it's, it's really a testimony to what a college radio station uh, can accomplish in, in terms of uh, a number of the things that we worked on. And I can talk about that a little more. Okay. Um, I look forward to, to hearing more about that. Um, aside from working on Stigma, did you have other shows that you participated in? Sure. So uh, uh, I was a very active engineer. I got my FCC Element 9 license, which was uh, uh, f fun, and I, I really enjoyed the technical aspect of it. Uh, I did a lot of jockeying of uh, classical music, and I did some news. Uh, but uh, German was a language that I studied. So uh, uh, And and uh, Rasa K, or otherwise known as Rasa Bobelis, and I used to uh, uh, joke that all the foreign language programs were in English. So we decided to put one out in German called Deutsches Fest. And we made that we were only going to speak in German. And, you know, given that, you know, we were German students, we weren't totally fluent, uh, but we pulled it off and it was really a lot of fun. Uh, so we did that uh, uh, foreign language program in uh uh, in in uh, in German, Auf Deutsch, and uh, we got a nice response from it. And uh, you know, I always was hanging out at the radio station. It really was my peer group. So I would often, you know, drop what I was doing to help out with other shows, and and uh, it's just really a great environment uh, to to be in. Uh, in many ways, that was my social circle, uh, aside from uh, you know being with other people that were challenged by disabilities. Aside from producing those shows, did you have any titles or positions at the station? No, I did not. And, and I think that was appropriate because, again, I was not looking to go into uh, broadcasting as a career, although I did, you know, land uh, a job for a short time with a commercial station. And I, uh, I did uh, automation work at ABC Radio Network for uh, four or five years. Uh, so I did work in broadcasting, but it wasn't my goal. So I was more focused on computer science and, you know, learning my tech career. Uh, and allowing the positions to be held by those that, uh, you know, really needed that on their resume. Uh, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? I did use my own name when I was on uh, Hofstra's uh, radio station. When I did some commercial work, uh, I went by an air name of David Chai. Uh, and 
that was that was kind of fun. But at Hofstra, I went by Bob Aiello. Okay, so obviously you've got a, an interesting story already. We're we're into it, and and I want to know more. Um, and you mentioned you weren't a communications major; you were going for computer science. So, how did you wind up at Hofstra Radio? Were you aware of WVHC before you came to Hofstra, or is it something that you found on campus? It was. Um, I really was going to go to Adelphi, uh, but I uh, I love music. I play some instruments, so I was going to play in the band, and I I did for a couple of semesters. And uh, I loved radio, and Hofstra's radio station seemed like it was a lot better. So uh, one of the professors pointed out to me that if I was going to come to Hofstra's campus to work uh, at the radio station and, and I was going to come to play in the band, maybe I should just come to Hofstra. So it was uh, uh, really a deciding factor for me uh, to choose Hofstra as, uh, uh, you know, the school uh, that I was going to go to. And broadcasting and radio um, were really my first love. And in a, in a very, very significant way, um, you know, growing up, I actually was blind. I didn't gain my vision until um, uh, end of high school, beginning of college. So radio had a tremendous amount of significance to me. You, were stu- you, you mentioned you were studying computer science, um, and you mentioned that you weren't thinking about radio as a field, but this was something that you felt that you had time to, to invest in and to get involved? Well, I accomplished my other goals through radio. So I was always, I've always been an activist for the blind. I, uh, as a, as a 13 year old, I helped pass the first laws, uh, for parking permits in New York. Uh, I led that effort, raised the petitions, went to court. So having a radio show on blindness and disability, uh, where I got to interview, um, you know, lots of folks with different disabilities to talk about our strategies for handling being blind and handling uh, accessibility. Uh, I was accomplishing my real goal, uh, which was to arm myself with the best approaches to uh, overcoming uh, a, a physical handicap. So that was really, um, even though I don't, didn't want to become a professional broadcaster, um, I, you know, I did use it to accomplish my most important goals. And, you know, having said that, uh, for the last seven years, or almost seven years, uh, I've uh, produced a radio segment on uh, uh, Israeli technology and innovation for Israel News Talk Radio. So I've always kept my finger in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes I've done, you know, broadcasting uh, for... uh, uh, for IBM and other little companies like that. Uh, I did do a couple of commercials. So, you know, I could never really walk away from it. Uh, I, I think, you know, part of me realized I wasn't as talented as some other folks were, and I was really good with technology. So it was just a practical, uh, decision of, you know, how do I want to take care of my family and, you know, how do I use best use my skills? But radio's always been my first love. I'll always, uh, uh, feel a tremendous connection to it. But, but you know, Brian, there's something more. Um, being at WVHC, I learned to be effective. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I really enjoyed the creativity of putting together and producing shows and helping with live shows. Uh, I gained confidence in myself. I mean, being an engineer, you work in the combo board and you're answering the phones. You got you two people in the studio. You have to pay attention to somebody talking over your shoulder and the phone's ringing. Hmm. I, 
got pretty good at multitasking. And I, and I really, uh, I think I learned a lot of important life lessons uh, at, at WVHC. And I also hung out with a cool group of people. Uh, and, and we were, we were doing interesting things. We were getting involved with politics and, uh, I was interviewing senators and political leaders around the world. Um, so I, I think I benefited just as much, maybe more so, uh, than the comms majors did, but it, it was more a matter of the life experience and the lessons that I learned, uh, from being at the station. Hmm. Wow, I was I was gonna say it, it, it's a point. It's it sounds like you had a very mature, almost precocious view of how to use radio as uh, a tool to achieve the things that were important to you. And that's you know, as a high school student or as a college age student, to to realize that radio is a is a is a means to achieving what you want. That's that's a pretty remarkable uh, way to think about things. Well. You know, Brian, when you grow up blind and you walk through a few plate glass windows and, and oh. you're using a white cane and you're using Braille, uh, you know, you do become a little precocious because you got to really think things through. So uh, you, you're not wrong at that, but I think it it was overcoming uh, my handicap. And, and Hofstra was such a great place because they let people with disabilities know that you could come there and they would work with you to make the right accommodations. You know, mm. I couldn't see the board when I was in taking calculus. So I had to go to the professor and say, you know what, it may take me more than one try to get through this class. And, and they were cool about stuff like that. So if you had a disability, uh, Hofstra was really good uh, when it came to reasonable accommodations long before we had the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. And I think long before it was popular uh, and, and the radio station uh, certainly had that spirit. When when we wanted to interview somebody in a wheelchair, we would just bring the recording equipment and set up a temporary studio. We, we didn't let anything uh, prevent us um, from, uh, uh, you know, achieving our goals. And, you know, lots of people who have disabilities, we use the term unstoppable because we are. Mm -hmm. And and I think, um, you know, being part of radio um, at that point in my life was uh really a key influencer that I could do anything. Hmm. I don't want to make too much light of this, but I, 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 I have this sort of humorous idea that I, I ask people about their first impressions about the radio station when they got there. And I believe at the time the station was still under the little theater and people have had some very colorful descriptions of what the station was like. What do you recall your impressions of the station being or, or getting access to it? Because I believe there's a pretty treacherous staircase to get down there just to begin with, right? You bet. And uh, it definitely wasn't feasible for us to get a wheelchair down there. Uh, and, uh, you know, Wayne Kurtzman was my uh, uh, trainer for announcing and he had this big bushy mustache somehow or another. I do remember that. Maybe it was his voice. Uh, and uh, it, it was it was a comical group. And it was uh, a fun group, you know, they were doing changes uh, as, a, as a radio show late at night. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know you, you, you spoke with Steve Graziano and uh, Charlie Kedu. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the equipment was sometimes very hokey and you had to be really creative to get it to work. Um, I did have a specialty of I was really good at splicing tape because I had that sense of touch and a keen uh, ability to hear. Uh, so people would give me their audition tapes and say, uh, Bob, I, I said the word couldn't, but I meant could. C 
could you just slice out the N dash T for me? And I, and I could do it. And wow. when, and, you know, being able to work with equipment that was perhaps a little um, temperamental, uh, certainly uh, sometimes outdated, um, but we were real engineers. And, and then when I did get a break in commercial radio and I did work in uh, robotics at ABC radio networks for a number of years, um, their temperamental equipment didn't phase me because I had gotten all this experience at WVHC. Um, and, you know, we produced really great quality programming. Um, I remember Steve Graziano talking about the fact that creative people could stay within a format, um, that you could develop programming and do it precisely on time. And, and the radio segment that I'm doing right now is precisely 60 seconds. And I think my program director uh, is a little surprised that I've never missed that. I've always mm. been precisely at 60 seconds because I've always thought, well, the commercial break is coming up next. Um, and, and that was from Steve. You know, he was, he was the one that said to us, you can be creative, but you can also stick within the format so that we sound like a, a professional station. And we were a professional station. Yeah. Uh, earlier when you were just uh, describing the station as, as being a college radio station, and I think throughout the generations, there's always been such a consistent professional output, even though the people doing it are students, um, the level of professionalism has always been very high. And I wonder, um, you know, for your era, what were there training classes? How did you learn how to splice tape? How did you learn how to work the board? Was it just trial and error and practice or were there people showing you specific things? Well, Wayne had us do uh, voice ex exercises, uh, you know, when you're lying awake with a dismal headache. If mm. you, we had a, a little uh, uh, a little uh, poem that we had to say, so we trained our voices. And uh, we did have engineering classes, but I think 99% of the time uh, we were just um, helping each other out, showing each other stuff. And... Uh, uh, we did have another guy who was blind at the station and then uh, myself and another person trained a couple of other blind uh, uh, announcers or engineers who were going to go work in commercial radio. So it was a culture of learning. Um, and yeah, there were comms classes. Uh, I helped teach one when Jeffrey was uh, out sick, mm -hmm. uh, but I never really took any of the comms classes. I, I, I learned by doing and by having fun uh, with other folks there. And I think we were all really cool about, um, about teaching each other. And also if somebody said, Hey, you know, somebody's out sick and you cover the board. Uh, we all really tried to, uh, uh, in fact, I remember one snowstorm. Uh, we actually had too many people that made it through the snow mm -hmm. Um despite the fact the buses had all stopped, we all just kept coming to the station because whenever we had a big snowstorm, we went on the air for 24 hours uh, and supported the community. People were really dedicated and, and determined. Uh, and again, it was, it was really fun. 
that is such a recurrent theme in in throughout the eras in in talking to different generations that whether it's a snowstorm or the events of September 11th or whatever breaking news story it was that people gravitate to the station and i and i keep asking people and i'm not even sure what the question is but is it something about the people that are drawn to the station is it the culture of the station what is it that makes us go to the radio station during these times of, of crisis or emergency. I just, I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I'm in awe of it, but I don't know what it is. Well, we had 50,000 watts, right? We were a sizable college station. We were not a 10 watt round the block station. We had as much power and, and reach as many commercial stations. So part of it is, I think we really felt an obligation to the community hmm. and the community called in a lot. Um, I mean, I met a lot of people who would hear the show and would call and leave me a message and want to talk. Uh, and I, we felt connected. It wasn't just a one way thing. Hmm. Um, so I think I was very motivated by the fact that uh, if I was going to work on a news segment, I wanted to do an honest job around the news segment. I wanted hmm. to serve the community. Uh, and I, I think that was kind of a culture there that we, we wanted to really do professional radio and, and be proud of what we were doing. And, and the fact that we were college students didn't really matter. I, and keep in mind, a lot of folks, um, you know, were there at the station have been there for decades. Uh, it wasn't mm. just college students. Some folks uh, never graduated out of the station. I, I had to go on and actually earn a living. Uh, mm. But, you know, I kept, kept my involvement with radio in other ways. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, WVHC really was a, it was a community. Uh, it was much more than just a club. And I think we felt the obligation to each other as well as uh, serving the community around us. Hmm. Well said. Thank you for, for taking a swing at that. It's, it's a topic that keeps coming up for me and I keep asking and I'm consistently impressed with the answers I get. So, so thank you for, for trying that out. I do want to go back because I thought of this earlier. You mentioned getting in your FCC license and used a particular classification. And um, what was that? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so I'm an old timer. And back when I took the test, there was an element nine uh, that was physics. And you had to really uh, know your stuff. It was a tough test. A lot of the, a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the folks there had trouble uh, handling the uh, science part of it. And I was pretty good with math and science. So uh, I passed it on the first try which meant even though I was new to the station, I got to work as an engineer. And you always had to have somebody with an Element 9 license uh, at the station to be on the air. Um, so that made me a popular guy, even though I was mm -hmm. new. And um, I really enjoyed not just learning the material, but then learning how we use it. And um, so it was uh, – it, it was – some physics, it was a little bit of math, and it was more the, uh, the technical aspects of being a, uh, a radio engineer. I, I'm, I'm somewhat sad that they did away with that. Uh, I think having to know that information was really useful. Hmm. Uh, when I went on to an opportunity to work in uh, AM radio for uh, WTH Mineola, um, you know, they had to go cut down to a lower level of power uh, at, uh, at dusk. And, and, you know, I I had studied that stuff and understood why. Uh, so, uh, uh, I think 
the material uh, was really, really important. Uh, and um, it, it, again, it was really fun to learn and uh, to be part of that. So would that have been different than an FCC license with broadcast endorsement? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that the, they did away with the physics part of the exam. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think you still have to know the laws, but right. I don't think that they had as much on, uh, uh, you know, transponders and, and other electrical devices. I mean, if you go for your first class uh, engineering license and, uh, you know, they always had to have a uh, first uh, uh, class engineer uh, to uh, uh, handle the repairs to the transmitter, uh, right. as an example. Uh, but I'd say it was kind of on par with getting a, a ham radio license uh, in terms of understanding the mechanics of uh, broadcasting and frequencies and, and so forth. It was, uh, to me, it was really useful information. Uh, I know some of the folks who were comms majors found it a bit of a nuisance to have to go off and learn physics. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I am a, a, a science-y uh, technical kind of guy, so uh, I, I enjoyed learning it. And this would have been going uh, down to Varick Street in Manhattan yep. to take the test. Okay, that's right, and uh, and uh, uh, that that was that was very exciting. And uh, uh, you know, uh, you had to really study for it. I mean, you know, it wasn't uh, it was it was not a joke test. You had to actually spend the time and uh, learn the material and and be able to apply it. So uh, I, I'm sad they kind of took that part away. I, I'd love to see them uh, make it a little tougher because that kind of you know, when it's a little harder, it makes you stretch and learn more. It's, it makes it a little bit more special. Um, do you remember getting on the air the first time? Or if not exactly the first time, do you remember your feelings? Were you anxious? Were you nervous? Were you excited? So I do remember going on the air for the first time. I was just doing uh, uh, a, uh, a couple of uh, breaks as an announcer. And um, I guess I was a little nervous. Um, but, you know, again, when you're when you have my history of overcoming blindness, hmm. uh, you know, you're kind of gutsy. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and, and again, it was a dream come true. My biggest role model growing up uh, was listening to a radio program uh, called uh, out of sight. And unfortunately I forget the gentleman's name, although I did meet him later. Uh, and he was a blind guy doing a show on blindness. Uh, so I had, all of this uh, pent up thoughts about uh, radio being the way to uh, uh, to really get your voice out there, particularly if you have a disability. And uh, uh, and that's why when I came up with the idea of doing Stigma, which is a program by the disabled, um, in which we talked a lot about how to overcome disabilities. And uh, we talked about some of the challenges and problems we had. Um, Steve Graziano and uh, Charlie Kadu and others were really supportive uh, and encouraging me to, to go for it. I mean, originally they thought I would just do one or two shows and give up. And then, and then I kept it on the air for four, I think almost five years. And, uh, wow. and I did have it on NYE and some other stations uh, as well in the New York market. Uh, and I interviewed, um, I really lost count of the number of people, but lots and lots of different people who brought different perspectives on uh, dealing with disability. Sometimes we uh, interviewed care providers and I, and I tried to take it easy on them, but it wasn't mm -hmm. easy because, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. when you get that social worker who thinks they uh, understand uh, what it means to be blind, uh, you know, and, and, and you've really lived it, uh, you know, you, you got to try to go gentle on them. 
but uh, so we we talked about real stuff, and uh, uh, it was uh, it, and it was fun. And and other people with disabilities um, contacted me, um, and and you know would either ask to be on the show or would uh, offer their thoughts and ideas. Um, and you know today accessibility is a big deal, but back then it wasn't. Yeah. Um, it, we didn't have the Americans with Disabilities Act. There was no assumption that doors would be wide enough for a wheelchair. We had to fight for that. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no assumption that if I went for a job, uh, I could ask for a reasonable accommodation like I do now, where I, I, I tell my boss, say, hey, it's your lucky day. You get to get me a bigger screen. And, and you know, companies are happy to do it now, uh, particularly if you got, you know, really strong skills. Uh, but back then, when we were talking about these issues, um, society had not yet accepted the fact that people who were blind and disabled um, had a right to accept, to expect that, that kind of reasonable accommodation and equal access. But it sounds like at the station, you were socially accepted, it seems like right away. It seems like people were very welcoming and very helpful. Does that sound right? Absolutely encouraged, cheered on. Uh, you know, people would offer to help me, uh, uh, you know, produce the show, uh, uh, certainly to get started. And, and then I was pretty self-sufficient. But, uh, yeah, everybody was really, really uh, uh, supportive. Sometimes folks would come with names of people they thought I might want to interview. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah. And, you know, I guess in that sense, we were kind of a family. We were a family that fought together a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, um, and, and again, you know, I'm a different kind of guy. I was not a comms major. I was not a, uh, you know, I was not a expert on uh, jazz or, uh, you know, other forms of, uh, um, music. Uh, you know, I did know classical a little bit cause I am a musician. I play flute and trombone. Uh, but, uh, I, I definitely, um, you know, I definitely was different, and at the same time, I, I absolutely felt accepted and uh, and and part of the station. When you came up with the idea of doing your program, or when you pitched it, did you run it by Jeff Krause at all? Did you get any feedback from him? No, I didn't run it by Jeff. I think he approved it. Uh, I ran it by Steve Graziano, mm -hmm. and and uh, Charlie Keto again was my first producer that helped me get going, and I think Wayne Kurtzman was involved. Uh, so I think I talked to quite a few people there and, uh, uh, and I was really passionate about it. So I think folks, um, felt that I couldn't be stopped. Yeah. Uh, but, but I know originally they thought I would do two shows and then I would call it quits. And, uh, you know, I was in for the long haul. It was tough for me to stop after I graduated. I, I kept going back to the station for a few months, uh, trying to continue it. But, uh, uh, you know, I definitely had a good, uh, uh, three, four years of uh, shows uh, weekly, you know, I had some reruns, but uh, pretty much able to produce uh, original content uh, just about every week. What you said a couple times that they only expected you to do maybe a few shows. Is that just because you were trying it out or maybe you only had so many topics or you'd move on to other things? I, I think that initially folks didn't have any idea of how many topics I would come up with. Uh-huh. And I had many ideas of different topics to come up with. Uh first off, I wanted I wanted the show to be a program where other blind people would listen in and say, 
ah, that's how I can improve my mobility skills. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how I can handle that bus driver who keeps trying to run me over or walking across Fifth Avenue when uh, uh, cabbies won't stop for you. Uh, so a lot of what we were do doing is talking about strategies for overcoming our disability. I mean, uh, I, I was really into martial arts, but it's kind of hard to do full contact karate when you can't see the other person. Mm -hmm. So I developed circular motions uh, so that I could catch somebody's hands or feet. Now, look, I could never win. <laughs> that was unrealistic, but I got pretty good and nobody would want to try to mug me. Uh, and, and, you know, those strategies, those practical strategies uh, for somebody in a wheelchair is quadriplegic. How do you pick up a cup with your teeth? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how do you, um, uh, you know, into my college, uh, I fractured an ankle uh, ended up in a wheelchair for a while. And all my friends uh, started laughing at me saying, Bob, you did that on purpose. So now you could get skills with a wheelchair. And it was not completely unwelcomed. I, I did want to know how to use a wheelchair. I did want to know how to use a cane. So, you know, uh, part of overcoming a disability is knowing how to um, handle the strategies. How do you pour hot liquids when you're blind? You know, where do you place your fingers around the cup? Uh, so there was a practical aspect of this uh, that was uh, really important to me because I wanted to encourage other people with disabilities to be uh, capable to uh, to be unstoppable and to overcome their disability. And, and so I was in it for the long haul and uh, I knew I was going to do it for years. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and anybody that didn't think I could do more than a couple of shows quickly changed their mind after they heard the first uh, segment or second segment. And, mm. uh, and, and really everybody was behind me then. So I'm going to guess you felt pretty comfortable doing the show right away. Usually I ask, how long does it take you to feel comfortable producing a show or hosting a show? And it seems like you had something in mind no, and I you was, were able uh, to realize that pretty fast. I was straight out of the box and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and if anything, a bull in a China shop, because, uh, uh, you know, if you have a real disability, you either are extremely determined or you're defeated. And, mm. um, I wasn't about to be defeated. So, uh, I was extremely determined, uh, and the radio show allowed me to put that voice out there and allowed me to interview a lot of other people. Uh, who expressed, you know, their approaches to overcoming, um, you know, either epileptic seizures or, uh, you know, uh, uh, cerebral palsy, you know, you know, what were the strategies that they did? You know, how do you, if you're blind, uh, you know, how do you uh, think about your career? Well, I had a couple of friends who were fantastic musicians. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea was really to help each other, uh, be the best that we could be. And, uh, you know, there was no place for pity. Nobody really cared about that. Uh, it was more a matter of, you know, how do I accomplish uh, what I want to accomplish? And I think WVHC gave us, you know, gave us a voice and, uh, and, and it was a pretty loud voice. And we got to, uh, uh, to really share those ideas and uh, uh, get get those sort of views out there and, and, and get feedback as well. Hmm. 
thinking again about you pitching the show and, and the idea, and, and I imagine some people would have thought, well, how many shows can you do about being blind? But you had in mind, and again, this is sort of this precocious, mature thing, that you weren't just going to talk about blindness or about uh, your life. You were going to talk about many people with disabilities and different uh, positions in life. And, and that gave it more life and more breath. And I think that's, uh, it's a really interesting way to be able to look at a program like that and as a public service. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, we did define disability very broadly and, and we did that on purpose because, you know, uh, I always say, you know, we all have handicaps. It's just some are more noticeable. Uh, and, uh, you know, capturing the view of parents is another, uh, mm. was another area that we, we covered. Maybe, maybe that person's handicap was they had a, a, a child with a disability uh, and, and, you know, they felt responsible for it. And we, you know, we needed to talk about that. We needed to talk about how parents handle empowering their children um, and also at the same time handling the emotional feelings that they have uh, as the parent of a child with a, with a handicap. Uh, so we defined um, a disability very broadly, and we tried to cover it from many different perspectives. And sometimes we were joking around. We'd sometimes play music uh, that talked about uh, uh, disabilities, and, and we occasionally got uh, folks annoyed at us at how far we took it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it was college. <laughs> right, right. So uh, that was uh, that was definitely an approach that we took in uh uh, that we try to uh, accentuate. As we're looking back at this, we have the benefit of hindsight and your experience and these relationships and friendships. Um, I, I think I kind of know where you're coming from here, but I like to ask, you know, as an 18-year-old entering Hofstra University, what did you hope the radio station would mean and what did it become for you? Well, I, you know, I wanted to be in with a group of people that were doing something significant. Um, I wasn't about to go just, you know, hang out and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I wanted to be in with people that were, um, creative, mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, didn't mind rolling up their sleeves, um, like doing fun stuff and, and like me, were willing to work at it. Uh, so I think it was a very wholesome, um, group of people for me to hang out with. Uh, my other peer group, we did have a student union for uh, people with disabilities. And uh, that was the other group that I hung out with. And, and you know, that was just an infusion every day of uh, people that were ferociously determined uh, to uh, overcome any obstacles in front of them. So I think I kind of looked at the station as being a, you know, a healthy peer group. Uh, and, uh, you know, the kind of people that, uh, you know, I want to uh, work with and also, uh, you know, help out if, if, uh, when, when, you know, people needed me to be their engineer or, uh, to help them with production, uh, you know, I was glad to do it then. So, uh, I, I think you can't over, uh, consider the importance of picking a, a good peer group, uh, when you're in college and, uh, and the station had that kind of a culture, uh, and the kind of, uh, folks that were, uh, uh, positive influences to hang out with. That's fantastic. Bob, this has been a really 
great insight into how the station worked and, and, and your role in it. And, and I'm so grateful that you took the time to share your stories. Um, I'm working on some more questions. I hope you have some more stories to share. And maybe we can do this again sometime. Sure, Brian. It would be a pleasure. And I want to thank you for really being the historian, the keeper of the history of the station, because uh, there was so much that happened there and, and mm-hmm. Jeffrey's influence as well. And I, I think the segments that you're doing are, are really uh, valuable, certainly bringing back memories and, uh, and, and allowing WVHC to be uh, uh, remembered for what it was and, and perhaps influence uh, students getting started today. So thank you, Brian.